Well, hey guys, thanks for letting us come into your space a little bit here. I know it's strange to see not a lot of testosterone, but a little bit. We're working on it. We're doing our best. So we wanted to come in this morning just to encourage you guys. I know, especially as you guys are going through Acts, it talks a lot about the early church and what things look like to kind of like Rod was talking about, women ministering to women. Um, we have some awesome opportunities in our junior high and high school ministries for you guys as well to come in potentially as leaders with some of these junior high and high school girls. The thing with youth ministry is it's so, it can be so kind of unexpected, especially I'm finding more and more junior high, like these students now are going through things that they shouldn't have to deal with until they're well into adulthood or never have to deal with. More things than I ever had to deal with in junior high. So I, I know for me, a lot of times the, the stigma with junior high especially can be like, well, they're still like kids and they're kind of all over the place and it's kind of daycare, isn't it? And it's really not. We're dealing with divorce. We're dealing with drugs. We're dealing with depression and suicide. We're dealing with all of these things that that previously we wouldn't have even had to think about with students. And now it's constant. And the big thing that, that we are looking for is just women who are willing to love on these girls. We can only do so much, you know, male to female counseling kind of stuff. We try to keep that to a minimum. And right now we're kind of low on female leaders. We had a couple leave to school and college and, and to other work and stuff like that. So we wanted to open up an invitation to y'all if you want to be involved at all. That's Sundays and Wednesdays. The expectation wouldn't have to be both nights or both day and night if that's not something that's available. Really, we just we just need help with loving on these girls and being there for them as they're going through this stuff. We just, I just had a conversation last night with a student about, about consent, which is a strange conversation to have with an eighth grader, but she was saying that this, this guy like rubbed her leg in class, another student, and she said no, and he still did it. And then she moved, and he moved, and then he did it, and she said no. And the conversation that we had with us said, okay, well, who did you report that to? And she said, well, I didn't. I said, why? And she goes, well, I, I don't want his feelings to get hurt. I don't want him to get in trouble. And I, and I said, now more than ever, these girls especially are in a position to be believed in ways that the women that I care about and, and probably a lot of you have experienced, weren't and to be able to come alongside something like that and encourage them with potentially your own personal stories right i only have secondhand stories from from women that i care about to encourage these girls in their lives and in these in these steps and these things that they need to be considering more deeply for those of you who have lived your lives like good or bad or both or there's redemption in all of it to be able to step alongside these girls and walk with them through some of this stuff that they're not going to be open to telling their parents about. They're not going to be willing to talk to, to other people like that about. And honestly, to an extent, that's okay, right? If, if you guys remember at that time, like not, there are certain things that you needed to talk about, but you knew if you talked to your parents about it, it would be a different conversation than the one you needed to have. Um, and that's something we encourage in our student ministries is we are here not as secondary parents, not as, you know, trained counselors. We're just here as people to love on these students and to be there for those conversations. So we have a sign-up sheet in the back. I'm going to, Caden will talk a little bit more too, but we have a sign-up sheet in the back. You can put your name and your email and whether you want to be with junior high or high school. If you're interested in both, check both of those. We'd love to, to talk and meet up and see what that looks like. But yeah, these girls just need women who will love them and care about them. And hear me when I say this, 
a lot of times in youth groups you you think or it t tends to look like we're looking for like 19 and 20 year olds because you just younger helps younger and I, I don't think that's true because I think a lot of 19 and 20 year olds are also still trying to figure it out and not to say that you guys aren't also still trying to figure it out I know that never ends but there's a certain like just wisdom that the girls will notice from women who aren't currently in college like who have who have been through life who have experienced these things firsthand um, that will be just super impactful for them and it also honestly helps with their own views of authority and adults when there are more of them around who they feel like genuinely care that's the big thing with them is they don't feel like the authority around them actually cares but when they see adults in that same range caring it starts to shift the way they see things yeah thanks <clears throat> So I'm Caden. Yeah, thank you, John. I'm Caden, and I work with the high school, um, kind of lead the high school students. And just echoing everything John said, I'll kind of be short because he said really everything and went, you know, dove deep into, I think, the need and the value of just partnering alongside us and our ministries. But really, we just really want to have uh, these students, and, and it, especially these female students, have access to adults. Um, I think, I, I, I know growing up, like, Having this community of adults, my, whether it was my friends' parents or my coaches or my youth pastor or my small group leader, I just wouldn't be standing here talking to you today if I didn't have those adults pouring and loving into my life. And so you could be that for a female student. And we just currently are definitely in need of lady women volunteers to kind of invest into that next generation to do a lot of the things that John said. Um, and it's it's not like a high stakes, high pressure thing. I know it. I remember being kind of in your chairs when people asked me to kind of step out and serve, and it was like, am I going to connect? Is it going to work out? And it's just like being present. Uh, these students just love relationships, and they just love getting to know people. And so, uh, yeah, I think that's really all I have to say. But we would love to plug you in. Like John said, uh, Wednesdays um, for a small – if anyone looking to be a small group leader on a Wednesday night would be super awesome. Um, Sundays we just are here at 1030 and you can just be a part of our service and love on students that way and then we do you know at least about twice a month events and things where you could partner and come to one of those or help us out with some of the planning of those or there's just endless ways to kind of get you plugged in depending on your gifts and abilities and definitely don't want you to do something that you just don't even feel is in your wheelhouse so I'd love to figure out what's in your wheelhouse and let's let's roll with that so um, yeah, thank you for listening. And I, the sign-up's in the back. It's a little wet. Apologize, polar vortex. Um, yeah, any questions for us? See you all next week Wednesday. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah.
and there is security with these two young men. And the Lord, I do. I pray for the women that have just sat under the call. That God can move on them. These young girls need this in desperate ways. So Lord, I'm so thankful they came in today, praying that you would move the hearts of women to be a part of helping to bring up a future generation of women that can help women help women. So Lord, I thank you for this. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. I'm so glad to see you here today. You made it. You made it in the rain. This beautiful, glorious rain that is making everything so green. If only we could see it. But <laughs> someday the sun will come out again and we'll get to enjoy this and all that the rain's bringing. I'm going to open us in prayer and then I'll continue with the teaching. So, dear Lord, just thank you for bringing us all here safely that we can take this time to worship and to be present in your word and growing together. Lord, I just pray for the reality of who you are, that it comes into our heart, it comes into our being, and it comes into our actions as we walk with the reality of who you are, what you've done for us, and those who have followed, and, and how we can follow in their footsteps, and, and where you're leading us today and tomorrow, Lord. So be with us today in our discussions, and as we just bask in the glory of who you are. Amen. All right, so I'm going to talk today. I'm going to say this word a lot. I'm going to say the reality. Reality, reality, reality. What is our reality? What is the reality of Jesus? Who is he, and what does it mean to us today? Um, I've mentioned this before, but as we were coming to the end of the Old Testament and about to begin the New Testament, it kind of felt like coming home as we were welcoming Jesus into our reading. So there's something very wonderful about that. But I also recognize that this was not just a time for familiar reading, nor was it going to be just something that we could effortlessly understand. I knew that J Jesus was going to call on me to go into these readings deeper than I ever have before, and that it was going to take something of me to be willing to do that, and that I would experience a change. And so part of me was excited about reading about Jesus. The other part of me knew that I needed to be prepared for what Jesus was going to do. And I think that that's important that as we're reading these stories, we remember what Jesus is trying to do within each and every one of us. Um, for those of us who grew up in the church, um, our journey has kind of been that we've heard stories over and over again, and we've been very familiar with them. That's kind of the beauty of it. We start small, we hear these stories, we recognize who they are, and we can grow with them with more detail as the years go on. Um, but they're not just <coughs> stories, are they? I once had a friend of mine ask to borrow um, one of our Bibles, one of our children <coughs> versions of the Bible, so that she could share it with her daughter so that she could understand the cultural aspects of what we believed because they were not believers. She didn't want her daughter to feel left out if people mentioned Jesus or Moses or, or the flood, and she wanted people to understand what that meant culturally. So I was like, okay. <laughs> 
I, I did give her the Bible. You know, I'm not going to miss that opportunity. But I did have to tell her that for us, these aren't just stories. This isn't just culture or tradition or something that we say as a bedtime story. We believe our reality is that these are life-giving histories of what we believe. And I needed her to kind of understand that. And I find that I often actually have to tell myself that as I'm also reading stories that are very familiar to me after all these years. And as, we're have, as I'm reading these to my children, I realize the great responsibility in making sure that we pass that on to them. Not just these beautiful stories, but the reality of what they are. So what we have here is we have our stories, but what we believe can be just as safe as the stories we're reading if we fail to go deep in our walk with Christ. It can be hard and it can even involve some risk if we're willing to go deeper into that understanding and have those discussions. The what we believe and the why is so important and I love that we're walking through not just the history of it, but the why of it and what that means to us. These are life-giving histories of our faith. Um, and so it's important that we verbalize, take ownership of, and live out the reality of what these stories are, what we believe, what the history is. And as we're looking at the Acts, we get a lot of the history, which I think is the how, how we believe what we believe today. <laughs> wow, the wind is amazing. <laughs> and the meaning, the why, why do we believe this? For the apostles and teachers shared this good news with everyone because of their whys and their hows. For the apostles and early teachers, many of them actually listened to Jesus. They saw him. Many of these apostles and teachers actually saw him die on the cross. And many of them got to see him in the flesh after the resurrection. Their reality and the power of the Holy Spirit was strong. Their walk was based on this reality. The power of the Holy Spirit led them to go on to walk, preach, and die in this understanding of what they believed, the why and the how of their faith. But what we have to understand is that reality that we're talking about is our reality, too. It is just as real for us as it is for those who actually witnessed Jesus and walked with their own reality. And it's been God's plan from the very, very beginning that we should experience this and walk with this. And we've read about this now for two and a half years, and we'll continue to see God's plan. And I love the fact that God has been working to bring the world to him through our faith and our willingness to continue what the apostles and teachers have done as we walk out in our faith. The Acts are given an overwhelming account of the great leaders in the early church and their ability to recognize, we've talked about this last week, both the active and passive roles of their faith. I love last week how we talked about the similarities between the church, and I was overwhelmed by how many things we came up with in just one week of reading. We have a lot of similarities. That reality is real for them, and it is real for us. Um, our, our walk must also be passive and active as we follow in their footsteps. Um, when we talk about passive and active, we talk about prayer and receiving God into our hearts and accepting that in our abilities before we then act 
right? Before we walk in what God has actively called us to do. So we saw the apostles and teachers acts doing this constantly, praying before, during, and after their actions. Um, we saw Saul, for example, right? The great, one of the greatest conversions of all time in both his passive and active participation in that. So he's walking to Damascus, all right? He encounters Jesus, is blinded, and then therefore for three days he is blind, and he doesn't, we learn he doesn't eat or drink for three days, right? And we can kind of step into what that reality must have been for him, how he must have passively been thinking quite a lot, <laughs> trying to understand what just happened to him, and passively taking that acceptance and knowing what to do with it. And then we had Ananias come and send him the word, his message of Jesus. And it's after this passive kind of acceptance and growth that he then actively goes out and acts. We also have Peter. I love Peter. You guys know this. So Peter received his visions. How many visions did he have? Do you guys remember in our reading? What was that? Three. So he had three visions where he spent time trying to understand what the Holy Spirit was trying to tell him. He's almost arguing, well, these are unclean, right? These are not things that we, we deal with. I will not eat them. What are you telling me? And he is having this discussion and this kind of passive openness to what the Lord was trying to tell him. And finally, when he receives the message of what he's supposed to do, go and act and be here, does he then go and act on what Jesus has him to do? And we have many, many examples throughout the readings. So as they're practicing both their passive and active roles of their faith during this reading, we saw God bringing the world to him. And it is at this time that we see Jews and Gentiles, both alike, coming into God's word according to his plan. And I'm going to jump here kind of towards the end of the reading and start with Acts 14. And then I'm going to take us kind of a, a walk through and coming back to that. So in Acts 14, specifically 8 through 20, we read about Paul and Barnabas and Lystra, which was in the Roman province of Galatia, which, was in, which is in modern-day Turkey. You guys can picture where that is. And again, Turkey kind of connects the Western world with the, the world of what they considered Asia and then the Middle East, right? It's the connecting place, Turkey. So they were there, and we write about how people wanted to worship them and make sacrifices to them because they had healed a cripple. They believed that they were uh, Zeus and Aramis, right? Part of these Greek and Roman myths that they had kind of created stories to solve their problems and understanding of the world. And we know from the reading that... Uh, Paul and Barnabas are trying to tell them, no, 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 no. We are not your gods. We are not these myths. We are not stories. We're here to tell you the truth. And if you turn to Acts 14, 15, I love what they try to say here to them, to try to get them to understand. They say, friends, why are you doing this? We are merely human beings just like you. We have come to bring you the good news that you should turn from these worthless things and turn to the living God who made heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them. In the, in the past, he permitted all the nations to go their own ways. 
but he never left them without evidence of himself and his goodness. For instance, he sends you rain, like today, and good crops and gives you food and joyful hearts. I can just hear the pleading and the yearning in his voice as he's trying to tell them, your ways are dark and they are wrong. You're basing them off of stories and we have come to bring you the truth. If you would just give truth a chance, you can know the one living God, the truth. And there's a lot we can learn from their attempt here to try to teach them. Um, we see that the crowds didn't like to hear this news, right? And they went on to go ahead and stone Paul and even leave him for dead, right? So these words were not accepted at that point. Um, but there's a lot of what we can learn from this passage. We can see the reality of the risk that Paul and Barnabas walked in while sharing the good news with the world. But the reality was everything to them. Remember all that they have walked through and all that they have seen and all that they have experienced and the Holy Spirit and how powerful it was in them. And so they couldn't help but go on and continue despite this risk in sharing these stories. And there was no other way to live. Um, and I love the fact that as we read this, we hear about God's evidence that he left up behind for all the nations so that they could recognize God's evidence when they finally received the good news. All right? I thought that, that was beautifully said. And I also think it's amazing that we're going to eventually read about how Paul and Barnabas returned to Lystra, despite the fact that Paul was stoned to death, or stoned almost, he didn't, he wasn't stoned to death, but nearly stoned to death, and yet returned because there were those who did believe, and he went to go and encourage him, he and Barnabas alike. So I'm going to kind of take us back a little bit to show us where we've come in our reading from Stephen to Paul and Barnabas and their mission and how important and amazing it is, their ability to spread the word and to actually even connect it to us having our discussion today here in our church. So if we go to the PowerPoint, because I have PowerPoint, you can go to that. So Rhonda talked last week, she ended with Stephen, and then I'm going to kind of actually go back to Stephen just a little bit. So Stephen's death, if you remember, Stephen was basically put on trial within, with the high priest, um, and he goes forth and he tells his story, the history of the Jewish people. And what's important to recognize here is that he is taking the opportunity not just to be quiet and to say, yeah, 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 I understand that you don't agree with what I'm saying, just let's get this over with so I can go back and teach others. He makes this a teaching point not only for the high priests, but for all of us to read and follow to this day. So he points out that how the Jewish people, with their repeated inability to follow God's plan, that they are doing it now and not accepting Jesus. He boldly took the opportunity to point out where they were going wrong again. And because of this, he was put to death. All right? And this caused, as we talked about before last week, a great scattering of the people. Okay? And the scattering is huge because now the word, the good news, is going to go and spread throughout, outside of Jerusalem 
and we'll continue to read how it spreads and reaches the world. And this is the beginning of that scattering. And of course, we have Saul, who was there for Stephen's death. He witnessed and approved of it. All right. And then after that, he was so inspired by it that he went to the high priest, got their blessing. They even provided him what we would consider like a police task force to go with him to Damascus to round up those who had been scattered. So he is going to leave Jerusalem in order to do this. All right, so Stephen set into motion a great deal of things in his acts, his story, his truth. So let's talk about Saul's conversion here. If we go to the next slide. Okay. Okay, so Saul walks to Damascus. And from what I understand, Damascus was about 140 miles away from Jerusalem. And they would be walking on foot, and it would take them about a week to get there. And he's walking with this police task force. He has the approval of the high priest, and he is on a mission. And he knows what he wants to do, and he knows what he has studied and defended, and what he understands, right? So it's important to see that he intended to walk to Damascus striking revenge, but he was led in blind and helpless, which I think is such a visual, symbolic way of the way he was thinking and who he became. He did a 180. His intent was one thing, and it was completely the opposite. And we'll see how he believed one thing and became completely the opposite. It's a very strong change that he went through. And up until this point, he had been doing what he thought best. I mean, he believed it with every inch of his being, and he acted on it, right? So after Stephen's death, he believed it so strongly that he was going in and finding these Christ followers in their homes and dragging them out. And in my Bible, it says that he was dragging out women and children. He believed, and he was acting on what he believed was right. And after his conversion, we see that he's, from this time forward, he's going to be doing what Christ called him to do. That is a huge shift. And it's so different from his original walk, right? And obviously, it is such a beautiful, amazing, living example of God's forgiveness and ability to use anyone. The last time I was teaching, I was teaching about Peter and how he had denied Christ three times and what that must have been like for him to receive Jesus' forgiveness, what that did for him. Can you imagine what that must be like for Saul after all the things that he has done and all the ways that he has argued against Christ and people were terrified of him? So he received God's forgiveness and God used him, used his ability. The Holy Spirit selected him for a reason. And God did not waste Saul's early experiences and arguments, but used them to further his truth. I mean, talk about a tool. Talk about someone who could do something that nobody else could, right? He had been going after the Jewish people. He had studied scripture. He believed he was right. In high school, I'll never forget this. In sociology, we once had to do a debate. So we were broken up into all these groups. And my friend and I were in one group, and we were going to have a big argument debate against these other two people. And we were going to do all this research, and we were going to win this debate. 
So we spent three days in the library. I'll never forget this. The first day we went, and we were passionate about this. Believe it or not, I like to argue. I like history. I like to do research. This was fun, okay? So we spent a whole day doing this, and we believed we knew what we were defending and what we were talking about. And at the end of that day at the library, the teacher stopped us and said, okay, everyone stop. <laughs> and I didn't like her for this at first. I'm taking whatever side you're on, and now we are switching it. what? <laughs> You're going to do what? And I was so frustrated because I had passionately researched this and I believed at that point I was right in this argument. And that was one of the greatest learning experiences I've ever experienced. Because then for the next two days we researched, researched the other way and I, uh, as a high school I'm like, oh no, I totally believe this. <laughs> but it was so powerful to understand the importance of seeing both sides to understanding the power of understanding where one is coming from in order to reach them and to make your information known, right? So I've never forgotten that. And I read about Saul and I'm like, what a powerful person to have behind Christ, using his ability to defend and fight for Christ. And then to demonstrate this further, I think this totally highlights the Christian example of Barnabas, okay? So imagine Barnabas and the other Christ followers who are terrified of Saul and all that he has done. And all of, a, all of a sudden, he comes to them saying, wait a minute, I've changed sides. I'm with you guys now. And everybody is terrified and denies him and does not want to be near him because they think it's a trick, right? But Barnabas takes him by his side and says, I believe him. Let him walk with me and we'll do this together. And if you guys know who Barnabas is, he was also related to Mark. And so Barnabas is also, he's called the great encourager, which I think is beautiful. And he's going to encourage Mark to also walk with them for a little bit. All right, and then Mark's going to go with Peter. And then towards the end, Mark is going to go back with Paul. So as we've read Paul, we can see where Barnabas comes into it. As we read Mark, we can see where Barnabas comes into this. Okay, so Barnabas was kind of highlighted within Saul's conversion and what came afterwards. All right, so if we go next, Paul wasn't the only one to go out into the world and to share and to begin this great movement within the church. Um, after Stephen, again, we have Philip, who's going to go to Samaria. Samaria. Do you guys remember Samaria? Okay, right? The Syrians came in, they conquered, and they, tried to, they took the ten tribes, and some of the Jewish people were left in this area of Samaria. And then Assyria then sent people in there to inhabit the area. And they worshipped idols right, at this point. And they intermarried with the Jewish people who were there in Samaria. And so we ended up having a mixed kind of religion of Judaism and idolatry worship. So Samaria, that's where the area we're talking about. And so people in Jerusalem, the Jewish people of Jerusalem, did not go to Samaria. And we talked about this when Jesus went there, right? Philip is going to go. And this is important because he breaks from the Jewish tradition of where Jews would go to spread the word of Christ, which is huge. There's a big shift between what has been traditionally done. We talked about with the laws, the laws, the laws, the laws and traditions. And now they're being moved by the Holy Spirit to break those binding traditions to move forward. Peter also reaches out to the Gentiles, which is also redefining the what and the who is unclean, which 
eventually the Jewish followers will learn to accept. Again, this is very hard for them. It was hard for Peter. Again, we're talking about years and years of history of who you broke bread with and whose house you could go into. And Gentiles were unclean, okay? And Peter goes after his visions and demonstrates that the Holy Spirit and Christ is leading him to do things that are going to break with that tradition to spread the world, to reach the world with the good news. And then we have Paul and Barnabas who travel to Antioch, which is a modern-day Syria. They go to the island of Cyprus, and then they go to Galatia, which is in modern-day Turkey, to begin connecting Asia to the Western world. And if we turn one more, we'll get a map. Okay? And we can see in the first mission, again, he's going to go, they go up and down to Cyprus and over and up to Antioch and Lystra, where Paul gets um, stoned, Saul gets stoned, and back again. And I just want to take this moment to kind of remind everyone of the great resources they have that we received when we first started this year. If you still have your red binders, there are amazing maps in here. As we continue to read and go forward, I would highly recommend turning to our red folders that we received at the beginning of the year. All right, if we go to the next slide. All right, so what I'm going to do here is kind of give some historical background as we continue to read, and most importantly, as we look at the world around us today. I want to make a big connection here with the history and the documentation of what we have. Um, like I said, I'm a history teacher, so you're going to get some history here, okay? So... <clears throat> Historical documentation isn't just so that we can have the proof, because we already believe, we know what the truth is. But it's powerful to see not only confirmation of what happened, but to understand all the conflict and all the hardship that the early followers went through, and to appreciate where we are today and where we're willing to go. Right? To live in the reality of what has happened and that reality for us and how we can walk with it. So some of these are historical accounts I just found interesting to kind of demonstrate what the early church was going through. So as we're reading these acts, as we read about Paul as we're coming through this and he's giving advice to early churches and early followers and all the conflict that they're going through, how do you overcome this so that we can move forward? So here's some of the things that I found to kind of support what they were going through. So Josephus was a Jewish historian. So this is from a Jewish perspective. He was not a Christ follower. Okay? And he loved writing about the Jewish history. All right? He was very passionate about it. He wrote a great deal. Um, he wrote about the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD. He went all the way to Rome at one point in 60 AD to rescue Jews who were imprisoned there by Nero, and he became friends with Nero's wife, who was the emperor at the time, and he was able to free these Jews and bring them back to Jerusalem. We have these historical accounts, and in these historical accounts, he even goes on to write and reference Jesus Christ, and recognizing that people saw him as a Messiah, and he also documented how they were persecuted and continued to spread the word. So he wasn't doing this in support, but as in kind of stating what was happening at the time. So there's interesting support out there. It's historical facts. We have Tacitus, who in 64 AD 
He historically documented the persecution of Christians in Palestine. So Rome was persecuting Christians, 60 AD. So if you remember that, that map I just showed you, Rome had control all of that, all right? Rome was a big, powerful empire, and they're persecuting the Christians. And he, Tacitus in 64 AD, was actually named a bishop um, within <clears throat> Palestine at that time. And there's going to be great conflict. The uh, Christians are going to be persecuted. He's going to have to flee. He returns. And he's going to write about all these historical accounts. He's considered the first the, or the father of church history. Um, and we'll go on and, and eventually in the Nicene Creed, we, we've learned that he's one of the people that sign it and so forth. And we'll talk about that in just a second. But these are actual documents. I was able to read these primary sources that have traveled all throughout time. We also have Eusebius, if I'm saying his name correctly, um, who talks about Emperor Diocletian, again of the Roman Empire, who from 284 to 305 was ruling. Okay, and he writes of the persecution of Christians by this. Oh, I just I'm sorry, I'm repeating that. All right, Roman Emperor Constantine. Okay, 312 AD. All right, have you guys? I don't know if any of you guys know of Constantine, but he was. The, what is going to eventually become the Roman Emperor after 312 AD because he goes into battle. And this is kind of where myth and legend and truth kind of get mixed, but we see the historical elements that come that follow after that. So Constantine was right outside of Rome and he's about to go into battle and apparently, according to him, he has a vision of a cross in the sky and he says that God tells him that he should go into battle with with in God's name, and then, then he will win this battle. So, is he a true believer? Is this something strong? Yeah. All right, he's tried just about everything, so he basically says, all right, I'll give it a try. And if you go to Rome, and if you see this in some churches, he had all his soldiers put this symbol on their shields. And what it is, it stands for Christos, Christ. And so they went into battle with this on their shield, and they won the battle, and he becomes a Roman emperor. So he thinks... God must not be so bad. <laughs> and this is where we start to see the tide change, where Christians start to be accepted. And he ends up writing a creed that prevents Christians from being prosecuted. So that's huge. He also calls the Nicene Creed, or the Nicene meeting, where they create the Nicene Creed in 325 AD. So while all this is going on, we have believers traveling throughout the world um, and they're going through word of mouth, right? And what they believe and what this stands for and what, what it means to be a Christ follower. And it starts to get a little jumbled and confusing, right? And so they need some unity, some clarification. And so that was what the Nicene Creed was supposed to do, was to kind of clarify what the church stood for. So we have documentation of the growing of the church. Um, and then after that, we have the Roman Emperor Theodosius. Um, he declared Rome a Christian empire and created a law code that professed the Apostle Peter as their great deliverer and deemed all non-Christians as heretics. So we go to the full extreme where Rome becomes a Christian empire and then because Rome has to persecute someone, they start to persecute non-believers. <laughs> um, and that was kind of the Roman way. Right? But despite all of this, the church grew and grew and is continuing to grow today. And there is a great deal of history I will not go into, 
but we have things like the Crusades and we have the split of the church and the Byzantine Empire and the Ottoman world, all kinds of things that happen. And then we have the church reaching Asia and Africa, South America, North America. We are here today in Carmel Valley. There is a great deal of history that's happened in 2,000 years for us to have the word here today. And we have it because people walked in the reality of what they believed. And I think it's so important that we remember that as we're reading that the apostles experienced so much and those experiences are ours too to walk with. Okay. Um, and I just want to finish tying it with our church today. I love that the guys are here to talk today um, because we can connect it to what our church is hoping for and growing today. Gabby once talked to us last year, and she had this little jar, and it had 40 jelly beans in it. And she told us these represent the 40 hours on average that most kids are in church, are, are here at actual church, because they'll go on average once or twice a month, all right? They'll come for an hour, and on average, kids who go to church considered regularly will only be in church for 40 hours the entire year. And I was just blown away. I was like, that's not very much. <laughs> not at all. And this little jar, you could shake it, and it was just tiny. And I've had it on my desk just to remember that. So I just wanted to connect what they were saying, like how important it is that we use that time with these kids to reach them. And our church is growing, and it's beautiful and reaching them. And they're going to continue this story as well. So I thought what they shared was pretty powerful. And the idea, too, that Gabby shared that for each child who knows five adults in the church, that they then go on to become and maintain their faith and go to church regularly, that it continues that line of faith. So if you can say, and I love this, I asked my kids already, and they're already naming the, the high school kids and adults, and I'm like, they know us. But how important it is for, for the adults and for the older people to know the kids and for the kids to know that they are known. So just to kind of piggyback on what they were saying. And then finally, the passive and active teaching that we were talking about last week and today. I just wanted to share that on about a week ago on Wednesday, we were here for Family Jam. And we were here about two hours early because my kids do the rehearsal and they take part of the singing and the dancing, which is wonderful. But I'm here two hours early. <laughs> but it was wonderful because I got to sit down and work on the teaching. And as you can tell, I find this all overwhelming. There's so much I want to talk about and, and incorporate. But I love this idea of the passive and active faith that has lasted from beginning with the acts all the way to today. And as I was thinking about this, Pastor Dave walked into the rehearsal and his, his enthusiasm and he said, okay, everyone, let's get started. But first, let's pray. And it just hit me. I don't know. And I wanted to share that, that it's alive today and it's beautiful. And I love that we get to take part of it, that we get to do it in our small group, that we get to do it in our worship and just kind of end on that note.